0: Hey, have you heard about our all new free PDF that you can download? It's called Five Ways Unresolved Trauma May Be Derailing Your Relationship. And if you're a couple that has done the date nights and attended the relationship retreats and learned the communication skills, read the latest books on marriage, but you still find yourself stuck in a loop of pain and frustration, then this PDF is for you. If one moment everything is fine and the next moment everything feels crazy and that is familiar, I encourage you to go to restoringthesoul.com, scroll down, fill in your email, and get the free copy of our all-new PDF, Five Ways Unresolved Trauma May Be Derailing Your Relationship. You're going to find it very helpful. Most people feel like they read this and they wonder if we've been reading their mail. They say, this is us. It's going to be of help. Check it out now at restoringthesoul.com.
1: Welcome to Restoring the Soul, a podcast dedicated to helping you close the gap between what you believe and what you actually experience. I'm your producer, Brian Beatty. Thank you for listening. For the next two episodes of the podcast, we're excited to partner with the fine men of Foxhole Symphony. Mark Vesper and Steve Sargent have served arm-in-arm for over a decade, seeking authentic Christian community by helping other men fight against isolation, and Living in the Dark. Together, they host an amazing podcast called Foxhole Symphony. We've added a link to the show notes and highly encourage you to subscribe today. It's a podcast about the transformational value of men who are on a journey from broken to whole. Now, a few weeks ago, they interviewed Michael and featured their conversation on the Foxhole Symphony podcast. We're thrilled to be able to share their discussion with you and trust you'll also be impacted enough to share it with someone else who could use the encouragement. And now without any further delay, here's your host, Michael John Cusick, along with Mark Vesper and Steve Sargent.
0: It's good to be here. I'm really thrilled. We've been talking about this for a long time.
2: Yeah, And no one could be more thrilled than we are because uh, there's a message we are trying to get out to a community of men around the world that has everything to do with seeking authentic Christian community, right? Knowing the value of not being isolated and in the darkness, and what we call caving up yep. here in the in the, in the foxhole, uh, and we're really glad that you're a kindred spirit, right? You have similar DNA in your ministry uh, as there is in our podcast and live. So uh, it's great if you don't mind. I'm going to jump right in. We'll we'll do some Q and A and see where God takes this. Okay?
0: Yeah, I would love to.
2: Cool. Um, We don't have time for your whole life story, but could you summarize for our listeners the events leading up to the summer of 94 that basically blew up your double life so they have some context?
0: Yeah, you bet. I was born in 1964, the very last year of the baby boomers, as I I understand it. So my kids call me a boomer, and they are technically correct. Um. So at 29, just two months before my 30th birthday, I came home from work one day and I had uh, graduated from a master's in pastoral biblical counseling at Colorado Christian University. And I began uh, working out in the community as a counselor, psychotherapist, but um, had a heart to be in ministry. And I was doing Christian counseling on the side and teaching some classes at Colorado Christian and yet, I had a double life where I was acting out sexually. I was acting out with prostitutes and going to strip clubs and acting out uh, with women and attempting to do so uh, in bars. And I was drinking to try to assuage the shame that was deep inside and the anxiety that I lived with, which frankly, I had lived with since I was a young boy. Uh, but the anxiety was really about it's just a matter of time until I'm found out. And my behavior got so out of control. And my, my deception became so pervasive, although I still felt like I was just a nice Christian guy living a nice Christian life. Things were so compartmentalized that one day I came home from work and I was doing some work uh, part-time on call in emergency room. So I carried this pager back then and um, I came home late. And my wife said, um, I thought you were working late. You told me earlier that you got paged and you're going to go to the hospital. I said, I didn't say that. She said, yes, you did. And I went back and forth and it turned out it was, I was lying. I made up a story, but I had forgotten that I actually told her I was coming home that night. Hmm. So I was kind of like a, a drunk who just got lost in my story. And that was the beginning of the end, the best day of my life uh, in an unexpected way, but the worst day of my life in terms of the damage that I caused her and the way that I broke her heart and betrayed her and uh, created really three years of illusion. In our marriage and that was the beginning uh, for me of healing and experiencing a very different life from not just that sexual sin that i had been committing for three years in our marriage secretly but from uh, a life where i'd been sexually abused starting at the age of four through about the age of 16 by numerous different people uh and re-victimized over and over again But also, uh, it was the first time in my life on that day, July 10th, 1964, when I felt like everything about me was known and I was exposed and I had absolutely nothing to hide, but somehow though, everything had blown to bits, I felt like something was finally coming together. And through that season of weeks and months and years, uh, God saved my marriage and my wife and I just celebrate 30 years of marriage together.
2: Congratulations.
0: Thank you. And for people that are hearing this, I hope that that gives hope, but I want to say it has been brutal. It's been really hard in those early years, but then one of the things God had to do from my perspective is, uh, nine years after my addictions really began to lose their grip. Uh, and on that day I never acted out sexually again. There was, just a, a major wow. healing in my heart as a result of a lot of the counseling that I had been doing, lying to my counselors in many ways, um, you know, telling them 90 percent of my struggle and then not telling you know, the other 10 percent, which is kind of like saying, um, you know, doctor, I have chest pains, but I'm not telling him that I'm fainting every time I have chest pains. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and, you know, oh, that explains a little bit more. Um, so. What happened nine years later was that I was diagnosed with complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And that was from the childhood abuse that hmm. the addictions had served like a manhole cover that had just sealed up that part of my life. And although I had never forgotten those memories that were really pushed down to the side, like a, or like a beach ball I was holding down. So when the addiction went away, that opened up all of this pain that was there. And when it came out, it was just debilitating. So for me, it wasn't just uh, a battle for freedom. It was really a battle for wholeness in general and learning to live as a whole person and, and uh, really what it learned, what it meant to grow up into being a man.
2: Mm. Wow. Thank you. A a
3: compelling story. Incredibly. Thanks for sharing that, bro. Um, You know, the, the statistics on porn addiction are, are staggering, and and it's not necessarily the topic for this podcast, but you you deal with uh, a lot of uh, trauma um, and and sex addiction and 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 porn. I just want to touch on this uh, briefly. Seventy percent of Christian men report viewing porn in the last year. Seventy percent of Christian men. Um, in your book, Surfing for God, you unpack the reality that attempts at overcoming porn addiction through willpower or peer accountability. They're just not effective approaches. Can you talk to us a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, uh, one of my late great mentors is Dr. Dallas Willard who uh, wrote the book, The Divine Conspiracy and the Spirit of the Disciplines and Renovation of the Heart. He was a secular professor of philosophy at University of Southern California for over 40 years. And um, I had one of the great honors of my life was to sit and talk with him for a few hours. I interviewed him in Southern California at a conference, and he made this statement as we were talking about the, you know, how the heart gets free. He said that most Christians are caught between ceaseless striving and brokenness, but he framed it as a question. He said, we're caught between ceaseless striving and brokenness. Is there another way? And I would argue that uh, Jesus said that there is another way, but that most modern Christians are either living out their brokenness like I was, where, albeit secretively, uh, I was acting out sexually in all these ways. And when I wasn't acting out, I was masturbating as much as I could and trying to look at pornography, which was much harder to obtain back then. So brokenness, brokenness, brokenness. And when I wasn't doing something sexual, I was irritated and angry at my wife that she wouldn't cooperate. You know, with my agendas of her just being there to make me happy. Um, And then ceaseless striving is, okay. I'm broken, but I am going to fix this. Jesus and I are going to tag team together because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Mm. Jesus is going to help me overcome my sin, which sounds so good and so biblical. But Jesus doesn't just want to strengthen me in my weakness. He wants my weakness. He wants me to surrender my weakness and in surrendering it to actually steward my weakness. Mm. And so we know that Paul says that in my weakness, I am strong. And parenthetically, if you ask a group of Christians, fill in the blank, when I am weak, blank, and people will say he is strong. But the passage in 2 Corinthians 12 says when I am weak, I am strong, not God is strong. Mm. In other words, there's this. Genesis to Revelation paradigm that I call the currency in God's economy is that our weakness and our brokenness is our power. And therefore, rather than wanting Jesus to just help us to overcome our weakness and to strengthen us like, Daddy, you know, here's this hundred pound weight and I'm small and I can't even lift it off the ground. So help me lift it. There's times and places for that. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But. But stewarding your weakness and your brokenness is saying, God, here's my vulnerability, here are my limitations, here's my humanity, here's my addiction, here's my sinful behavior, and I've got no game, I've got nothing. I have tried and tried and tried, and so my ceaseless striving. I'm a pretty disciplined guy uh, when my mood disorder or bipolar disorder is is managed. Uh, When I'm not, my discipline seems to go out the window and I don't floss my teeth and I eat lots of candy and things like that. So I'm kind of an all or nothing guy. So in my faith, I started memorizing scripture and I went to conferences that said, if you memorize Romans six and Romans eight and James chapter one and all these other verses and chapters. And I became in my young life community, among some other guys that have been on this program, like Peter Zaremba, kind of a walking scripture machine. And I showed up for the 6 a.m. Saturday Bible study. And for, you know, the He-Man Jesus Follower <laughs> Club. And I was like all in. And I was a 16, 17-year-old kid doing college-level navigator designed for discipleship books. And my young life leader was like, wow, this guy's got to go into ministry. And the more I got that kind of affirmation, the harder I tried. But I would literally like read my Bible for three days and memorize scripture. And then I would masturbate or I would look for pornography at my buddy's house, you know, in his dad's workshop. Um, I would secretly fantasize uh, about sex with men. I've never had a primary homosexual orientation, but because I was sexually abused by men up and through probably 16 years old, I would I would fantasize not about um, any man in particular, but just about that sex act, because that was introduced to me at such a young age that that actually became a comforting, soothing kind of thing, like getting a parent having that close contact, even though it was this unholy thing. So I had this whole confusion inside of me. And um, I I, I was like, okay, I'm going to get rid of this. I'm going to set my mind on things above and set my heart on things above. And I was literally obsessive obsessive about it, but it was never enough. And so I find myself, just like Willard said, either broken or ceaselessly striving. And what I learned literally through experience is that that ceaseless striving either left me with a real false sense of pride, like, wow, aren't I great? I finally, you know, I finally did it. I finally pulled it off. God must really be happy with me. Or on the other hand, exhaustion, just spiritual weariness and exhaustion. And I lived that way my whole life. And I had actually had another run in prior to meeting my wife and prior to getting married. And the story is in my book, Surfing for God, where um, in January of 1989, I had graduated college and I started a little painting business cause I, I didn't want to go into education. That was my degree. And I, uh, showed up at the house where I was painting that day and I saw the newspaper on their, on their, uh, doorstep and the headline read FBI raids escort service. And I was making like seven bucks an hour at my real job at that time. And I was racking up credit card debt with paying for prostitutes and going to strip clubs and, wow. Uh, putting it on my tab for all the drinks at the, at the bar and just you doing crazy out of control uh, compulsive things. So I had been using that prostitution ring and because in that city uh, there was an athlete and a celebrity that were implicated in this as well. So it really became a big thing. So I was what, 22 years old, terrified that my name was going to show up on the, the front page of the Cleveland Plain dealer And I would be exposed and ashamed, humiliated, my family wouldn't talk to me. Plus, all my Christian friends would be like, who is this guy? Right. So as a result of that, I went to a really good Christian counselor who I started on this journey. Back then, they didn't really have treatment or therapy for sex addiction or porn addiction. And so this counselor wisely uh, started working with me around issues of my masculinity, how I saw myself uh, in God's image, and started dealing with the sexual abuse. So that actually got me able to relate to and engage with women because I had never been on a real date during that time. Women thought I was probably charming and, and funny, but I was always kind of sure the they did. Pal. Sure. You, just,
3: you keep telling yourself that. Sure. They did.
0: Yeah. 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 Well, <laughs> of course, I tell myself that. But I was the gal pal. I was the guy that could hang around with with girls, but never initiate or pursue or be right. romantic. Um, so I was a, quote, relatively healthy person when I married Julianne in 1991, but little did I know that this addiction had really been so untreated and the proximity of suddenly being married to a woman and not really knowing who I was or how to be intimate. And I had zero clue guys. Um, so if there's anybody listening who goes, you know, I really don't know how to have an intimate relationship. Really the, the welcome is welcome to uh, the club and the strength and how to begin to do that is by acknowledging that brokenness and that inadequacy, because our, our inadequacy is really our first qualification to become who we are. So, um, yeah, got married, which was pretty miraculous. Fell in love with my, my wife at first sight in Colorado. Uh, we were married uh, eight months later and have been together ever since, despite my own brokenness and the, the wiles of, of evil.
3: So thank you, brother, for sharing that. So you, you, you shared a lot there and and I want to just dig in to try to get a practical tidbit or application for, you know, men or women, frankly, that, that are, that are listening, who are, are wondering, you know, you, you talk about this, this ceaseless striving, right. And this, you know, this, this failing and, and you you talk about, I think in the book, you talk about how to overcome compulsion once it begins. And I think you started to touch on this, but you, you suggest that the barrier built by porn addiction can actually become the bridge to abundant life. What do you mean by that? And, and what's sort of a practical application that listeners could use to help build that bridge?
0: Yeah, that's a that's a wonderful question, because I talk about that on so many different levels. But we're about to celebrate Holy Week, and with that, um, Maundy Thursday, or Holy Thursday, where we we remember Jesus being in the upper room and the Passover meal with his disciples, and uh, washing feet of his disciples, and Peter saying, "Nope, you're not gonna you're not gonna wash my feet," uh, and then Jesus in Gethsemane saying, "God, take this cup from me," but but ultimately I want your will. And then the the agonizing, horrific, torturous crucifixion the next day. And, you know, we all know that. And then there is the resurrection. Uh, mm-hmm. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming, as Tony Campolo has always said. Yep. And so that is a principle that is not just a season that we celebrate during Easter, but back to this idea that that's the rhythm of heaven itself. That's the rhythm of the kingdom of life, death, new life, or as Walter Brueggemann has said in his book, The Message of the Psalms, that that God's pattern that we see in the Psalms, in the life of Jesus, in the teaching of Jesus, is orientation to disorientation to reorientation. Richard Rohr has said that it's order, disorder, reorder. Uh, So I have a pastor that talked about this. I think he didn't even know of those other two authors, but thrive, dive, revive. And anybody, including a, a person who's not theistic, they would stop and think and go, yeah. There seems to be that kind of pattern to life. Things are good, then they're not good. Then somehow Mm -hmm. something better comes out if we're attentive to that. Mm -hmm. And so this idea that our brokenness, whether that's a porn struggle or somebody has committed uh, adultery or they're unfaithful or whether it's alcoholism or an anger issue or compulsive lying, whatever it might be, that when I bring that into the light – that something actually happens before it, quote, goes away. And in 1 John, it says that anyone who claims to walk in the light but is in the darkness deceives themselves. And um, there's this little verse there that we often pass over in that 1 John passage 3 to 5. It says that if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Mm -hmm. And my paraphrase of that is that if we bring what's on the inside, if we bring what's hidden out, yeah, Not even by way of confession, like, oh, God, I'm so sorry. But as uh, for the purpose of being known, like, yeah. God, you already know this about me, but here I am. Here's who I really am. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust you with this. But when we do that and bring it into the light, it increases our capacity for intimacy with God and for others. Yeah, Because most of us think with our diseased images of God, even as Christians, we go, well, I know if I bring that into light, God's going to forgive me. But but surely he's not going to like me and he's not going to give me a hug. He'll kind of stand there with his glasses down at the end of his nose like an English schoolmaster. But the reality is, is that God says, thank you. Now we can have a real conversation (laughs) because I just want to know you and I want you to know that I see you and I want you. I see you and I want to move toward you. I want to open my arms and my heart. I want to embrace you. Why? Because you're my son. You're not one of my servants. Mm -hmm. Because my love for you has been since the beginning of the world. And as Jeremiah chapter one says, before I formed you, I knew you and set you apart. Mm -hmm. So foxhole brothers and Michael, before God formed you, God knew you. He knew the you that was the essential true you. And the only reason why porn or sexual sin or any kind of sin is, quote, wrong or immoral is because it inhibits you becoming you. And it inhibits the connection and the intimacy that God longs for between us and him and us and the the people in our lives. And that's why Dr. Harry Schaumburg about 30 years ago called sex addiction false intimacy. He was the person, the first person I knew to use that term. So any compulsion, actually is really just all about the pain that's inside of us or the brokenness that we don't know what to do with and that false intimacy is a way to get our needs met that we are suddenly seen soothed, safe secure and those are the core needs that we have at a physiological uh, emotional psychological spiritual level is for those four s's to be there so moving into any kind of false intimacy um, that that is what then leads to the compulsion because we can go back to that again and again, predictably and reliably where we can't predict or rely on that in our actual human relationships for the most part, because our story is that's not what happened to me. Mm -hmm. Love wasn't there. Uh, Mom, dad wasn't there.
2: Yeah. Well said, bro. Really, really. And and thank you very much, Michael. And helps us as, as we're going to continue this conversation journey to think about, how a man might start. Like what's, what's that first step that, as you said, the, the admission of this is what I really am. This is who I am. And you can start working on it at that point. Getting, getting into the light. Yep. Yep. Let's just keep going a little bit. So here at at the Foxhole symphony, we invite people to join us on the journey from broken to whole. You've spent years counseling, teaching, facilitating these journeys for people. Can you share some common themes you've seen as it relates to the journey. We're, and and Sarge and I are interested for our listeners to hear not only the common denominators, but maybe any curveballs. There were things you didn't expect as you've worked on, on on those journeys.
0: Thank you for that question. Cause you're right. That is what I've really spent 30 years studying and wrestling with and reflecting on and teaching. And it's never been as uh, though I was a, a Professor, it's never been from the ivory tower from an academic perspective. That has informed what I think, but it's really been from my life experience, both as an addict and a broken man, as well as somebody walking with broken men, which is one of the greatest honors. So I want to come at this from a little different perspective. First of all, we have to ask the question, what is brokenness? And then we have to ask the question, what is wholeness? Because I think if you were to hit pause and survey every one of your listeners, People might say brokenness is something like uh, I I have either screwed up and we get this from Psalm 51 where I would literally masturbate and then I'd go read Psalm 51 10 times and I would tell God how sorry I was because you do not want burnt offerings and sacrifices. You want a broken and contrite spirit. And what I understood that to be as really, really, really to the 10th power remorseful and feeling bad about myself. And I believed that the worse I felt about myself, like I'm an idiot, kind of doing a Chris Farley smacking ourselves in the face, covering ourselves in sackcloth and ashes, but that's what repentance was. And that's what God wanted of me. When David said, God, uh, in Psalm 51 10, um, that you don't want burnt offerings or sacrifices, you want a broken and contrite spirit, what he was saying, you don't want me to ceaselessly strive to keep trying to not be a sex addict. You don't want me to spin on the hamster wheel of trying to be sexually pure. You want me to say, God, I'm a man, or at the time, I'm 16 years old and I know you. And this doesn't align with with who I am and how I want to live with you. And so um, I don't know what to do. I've got no game. I'm not gonna be able to fix this. And I think we actually subtly, although very few people would say, well, no, Jesus, most people would say, um, Jesus can help me overcome this, right? But again, before Jesus wants us to ask for help to overcome it, he says, will you trust me with that? And, And for me and for many men, I challenge them to say, what if that never goes away? What if you never stop compulsively masturbating, looking at porn or acting out with women? That would obviously cause damage to others, especially if you're married. It would, be, it would be like having the drain clogged in your garden hose so that you can't water the garden. So it's actually, uh, from a prescriptive perspective, it's just not a good, productive, fruitful thing. But what if God said, can you trust me with this and trust my love and my affection and my embrace and my moving toward you, even though you're continuing to struggle with this and seemingly to move away from me? And I think most of us go, well, yeah, God's like that, but not really, not for me. He He does that for <laughs> you, but not for me. And see, even my language of that we move away from him, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Psalm 139 language yeah. that we are, if we are in Christ, we are united with Christ mm. and he will never leave us and we can run from him. But he's like that velcro parachute instructor when you jump out of the plane god god is that attached to you right where you can try to unbuckle the harness but it's not going to unbuckle and you you know god will smash into the ground from thirty thousand feet with you and that's what that's how much he loves us so i used to think i'm away from god because i've done x y and z and now i have to get close to god and that was a ceaseless driving
1: So we've wrapped up another episode of Restoring the Soul. We want you to know that Restoring the Soul is so much more than a podcast. In fact, the heart of what we have done for nearly 20 years is intensive counseling. When you can't wait months or years to get out of the rut you're in, our intensive counseling programs in Colorado allow you to experience deep change in half-day blocks over two weeks. To learn more, visit RestoringTheSoul.com. That's restoringthesoul.com.